0: Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is my honey, my baby, my ragtime gal, Connor Goldsmith, a literary agent at Fuse Literary specializing in sci-fi slash fantasy fiction and a variety of nonfiction subjects. To be clear, I meant sci-fi and fantasy, not sci-fi and slash fantasy.
1: Although, I mean, if you've got that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Connor's available. I mean, I'm I'm flexible. Oh my God. I'm just so happy to have you here. I could scream.
1: I'm so excited to be here. It's a really, it's a lot of fun.
0: You have the right opinions about everything. That's very flattering. Thank you.
1: I I, I disagree, but I will
0: take it under advisement that you feel that way because it makes me feel good. Do you have an idea of like what role you're going to inhabit as an, are you going to be like a strict aunt are you going to be like a relaxed uncle are you going to be like a sinister godmother what's your what's your vibe today
1: i was actually talking to my mother about it this morning cuz i was like just happened to be talking to her and she was like well connor don't be too mean cuz you can sometimes be very strident and so <laughs> To any of the letter writers, if I come across a little strident, uh, I apologize. And my mother has encouraged me to be a little nicer. So I'm going to try my best. I just, when I, you know, I love trying to help people. I'm like, I'm that sort Mm -hmm. of like meddling Yenta friend um, who's like wants to be everyone's mom kind of in my friend group in that sense. Like not in other senses, but in the sense of like, okay, let's fix it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, so my, my inclination is always to be like, you have to do this and maybe that will help. But so I'm going to try to be a little gentler. But I think my natural tendency is a little bit like, you know, talk some sense into you, aunt, a little bit. So I'm going to
0: – I'll try to be a little more chill uncle if I can. I do like the idea, though, of like periodically invoking the spirit of your mother. Like if I'll just say, like, okay, what would your mother say right now? We can, you know
1: – My mother's very good at giving advice. So she's like – I get it from my mama in that sense. So it would be – That would be, she'd be very good at this podcast. Maybe you should have her at some point.
0: Next up, I'll get the whole family on.
1: Yeah, why not? My dad's funny. (laughs) Okay.
0: Um, Would you read our first letter?
1: Sure. All right. So the subject is secrets. And uh, it begins, Dear Prudence, my husband and I grew up in the same small town. We have a two-year-old son. For a birthday present, I got both of us an ancestry kit. I wish to God I never came up with the idea. The results came back saying we are actually first cousins on the paternal side. This news unsettles me and has left my husband's world in tatters. His parents have been married for 30 years, and my husband always held his mother close to sainthood. He will not talk about this to me. We are sleeping in separate rooms, and it is starting to affect our son. All my uncles are happily married, I thought." I find myself looking through photo albums of our childhood together and trying to figure out the truth. This secret is poisoning my marriage, and I am terrified it will blow up the rest of our family. My father-in-law likes to rhapsodize how he married the first girl he ever kissed. This is going to kill him. I can't confide in my mother or sisters
0: we were supposed to visit this summer. So, like, if nothing else, I hope that one thing this podcast can do is talk at least one person out of ordering those DNA kits. Yeah,
1: that was... Your first mistake, (laughs) especially in a small town. I feel like I I know people who something like this has happened to where it's like, oops, like you're not related to your dad. And that's like not or you are related to your husband. Or you are. I mean, in this case, that's that. When I was reading this at first, I thought that like the incest thing was going to be the dilemma. And then the problem.
0: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: But then I realized that like, oh, no, it's also like an infidelity thing. That's like a huge nightmare now. Because with the incest thing, I was going to be like, listen, you're you're cousins, you're not siblings, you didn't grow up thinking of yourselves as related. Totally. Like, there are plenty of places around the world where people marry their first cousins and it's not considered that weird. Like, I think you should just get over that personally. But um, then it becomes a little more complicated once you factor the other stuff in. So I think there are. Do you want me to just go? I don't know how, like... Uh, yes, just go. Okay.
0: Just go. Oh, by the way, though, I love that our take on this was both very, like, it's not really incest. I was like, it's, it's not... I mean, I was like,
1: it's like, it's fine. It's like not... I wouldn't, like, go out of my way to date my cousin. But, like, if you accidentally married your cousin, like, worse things could happen to you.
0: That is exactly where I come down. We are the same.
1: And that's what you missed on Game of Thrones. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I kept arguing that when people were talking about Game of Thrones. With you. I'm like, they didn't know. Who cares? Anyway... um So but I think there are really two different issues here and the first one is the more complicated issue which is the relationship with your husband because he seems very upset obviously and that has to be something that you guys need to figure out but then you're sort of conflating it with this other question which is should I tell anyone like should we tell them Uh, to which I personally feel like the answer is no Like, I don't see the—unless your husband simply can't live with this, I don't see the upside in, like, blowing up this marriage potentially 30 years later or, like, telling his sibling. Or, like, you know, I just don't see why that would be a good thing for anyone to do because, obviously, their family's been fine for however long and people make mistakes and, you know, whatever happened, it was— 30 years ago, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's probably not worth, you know, blowing up the family, as you put it, in order to give yourselves peace of mind. I think you opened the Pandora's box a little bit with this DNA test, and you found something unpleasant, and now I think it's sort of on you to, like, not let the blast radius get any wider. That doesn't help you, though, deal with this with your husband. I mean, I feel like maybe you guys need to go to therapy. You say he won't talk about it, but, like something's got to give there, you know what I mean? Unless you, or you break up. Like, I I don't see how that's sustainable. You're already living in separate rooms. Like, there's, the marriage is not good right now.
0: Right. And I think, yeah, like, I I can almost see a way to steer them out of the various shoals here and get out to, like, we've processed it as much as we feel like we need to, and we're just going to let that one lie. Yeah. I don't often give that advice, but, like, I like the idea of trying for it. But there's so many... So many different rocks they could found around. I think the one that would probably be hardest, at least for the husband right now, is the sense of like, so at least one of my parents saw me marrying this person and like using their memory, remembered there was a decent chance we were cousins and didn't say anything. And that I think would be the hardest part for me would be like one of my parents knew that I was marrying somebody who was probably my cousin and didn't say shit to me. And that, I think... Right, it's like my mother didn't say anything. Right. Like, that that to me would feel like, I don't know that I can put that one away.
1: But on the other hand, if you're... So they've been married for 30 years. So my parents have been married for, like, a little over 30 years. So let's say, let's gauge these people, like, mid-50s to early 60s, probably, Mm -hmm. age-wise, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're in that age range, unless you're someone like my mom. My mom's coming up a lot, I'm sorry, who's, like, obsessed with genealogy. So she loves the ancestry DNA stuff. But, like, I feel like most people, especially if, you know, they got married, like, five or six years ago before that was, like, a fad really, before it was like on Mm -hmm. TV all the time, I feel like it wouldn't occur to you that they would ever find out. So again, it's like one of those things where it's like, yes, like I made a mistake 30 years ago. I was unfaithful. For all you know, by the way, his father knows this and Mm -hmm. they moved on from it and he raised the kid as his own and didn't have a, like, and, you know, I'm not to say didn't have a problem, but like clearly their marriage is good to by all appearances. So maybe this is something they worked through. But it's also just as possible that, the mother knew this was a possibility, was never sure if it was true or not, right, and, and just hoped hoped it elected, would never come up. hoped it would never, ever come up. Yeah. Um, And if that's something he can't forgive his mother for, then that's an issue that unfortunately, like, is sort of above your pay grade, because it's not mm-hmm. about your
0: marriage. I think the main priority is not, like, um, if there's a way to not, share this with the rest of the family and you two are able to talk about it and your husband thinks he can be in the same room as his parents again, that's, you know, that would be kind of remarkable. But if it is, I would say don't prioritize keeping the secret over everything else, right? Like if it just becomes we have to protect the secret no matter what, even if we're all dying inside, that's too high a price to pay. Right, That. Um, yeah. And and again, like, you know, it, it, uh, yeah so i would just say right now what you need is somebody to talk about this with and if your husband is not able to talk about it with you and he's not interested in the therapy with you yeah go go by yourself you will still benefit from it um and, and they will be able to, i think to help you clarify like what do i need what are my goals what are my desires um uh and 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 figure out kind of a plan and then like from there to you know talk to your husband about like what do you need or 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 ask for what you need yourself and and if he's just like i want to sleep in this guest room forever and never talk about anything ever you know i think there needs to come a point where you can say like so that's not going to work long term And I need to figure out something else.
1: Yeah, I mean, like what sort of that's kind of what I was trying to get at. Like, I think it's a two tiered problem. And the key tier that's the first tier of the problem is your marriage and like figuring out whether this marriage can continue, whether this is something the two of you can process by yourselves. Because if you can process it by yourselves or with the help of a therapist, but amongst yourselves rather than involving the rest of the family, the damage to the family will be limited. But if that's not possible then the larger problem is how to approach dealing with this. And if they're if you're going to deal with it, I feel like that's something that he has to do with his mom,
0: honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and maybe say, like, do you think you want to need to talk to your mom about this? Because, again, I think the odds are that once you start talking about it, other people will inevitably be drawn into it. But it also, like, he could potentially have a conversation with his mother and a therapist, that does not mean you have to call up every cousin you have and say, like, okay, which one of you is my dad? Um, but, right. yeah, I, I, I do think that...
1: Yeah, I'd leave the uncles out of it, mm-hmm. if at all. Yeah. Your uncles. And, uh, you know, if that's something that he and his mom can deal with if they want to, but you need to, like, not dig too deep into that, I
0: think. Unless prompted to. Yeah, hopefully there would be a them. way to talk about it in a way that was, like... I'm obviously, like, hurt and freaked out. I'm not trying to, like, you know, bury you. I'm not trying to, like, destroy you. I just, I need to know more about this. You need to be able to talk to me about it in a way that's, like, I'm not, I I don't know. I just, I feel like the pressures of trying to keep all these other marriages going is, like, if they've already weathered this for 30 years, I think they can handle another storm.
1: But and uh, Yeah, and I think it's, again, I think it's very possible that some, that at least, I mean, certainly the mother... Knew it was a possibility, and the uncle, whomever he may be, knew it was a possibility. But I think it's also possible that their spouses know that this is a possibility and that they've just all elected not to talk about it. That's not Mm -hmm. to say that that's necessarily the case, but I just think that you're more likely to cause more of a problem if you start like digging and investigating and trying to figure out like which uncle was closest with her when they were young, you know, like things like that. Like, I just wouldn't do that until right. it becomes something that is like an open conversation if it goes that way.
0: Yeah. And I would just say to me, if this, if you start seeing a therapist, you have a place to talk about it and it still feels like I'm getting no traction with my husband. This may end my marriage and keeping the secret is killing me. At that point, if you need to start talking about it carefully with one or two people in your life, Then I would say at that point, that's more important than keeping the secret um, Mm -hmm. is is like take that step first. See how that's going for you. If you're not getting any progress and you are like, I can't divorce my husband and not tell anyone why. Like I would feel so isolated and alone. You know, at that point, it's like I didn't start the fire. And Exactly. um,
1: Like this isn't your – except insofar as you bought the DNA test, but how could you have known? This isn't really like your – Nothing Nothing about this is your fault. And it's not your husband's right. fault either. So right. I think that, like, so while my advice is to start by trying to, like, deal with it amongst yourselves, if that's not possible, like, neither of you is the guilty party here. And so right. not that anyone should be guilty. You know, but you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it, I do. It's just do. not something you guys did. So if you need to, like, lance the wound in order to heal from this, then go for it. I just, it wouldn't be my first right. choice. I do think you guys should not visit this summer. Yeah.
0: Oh, God. Unless. Yeah, that is, you're not ready. <laughs> you're clearly not there. You know what I mean? Clearly like, that's not going to be a nightmare. That, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the you know, I, I think to just really stress, like, especially if you're struggling to, like, get your husband to open up to just say, like, clearly sleeping in separate bedrooms and not talking isn't working for either one of us. I don't see it making you happy or contented or peaceful i see that it is failing you as a strategy and i want Mm -hmm. a strategy for you that enables you to deal with your feelings be present for our son and ask for the things that you need um and uh, yeah again i think one of the things that is hard is this does seem to be like i think a little bit more common than a lot of us thought with the advent of um all these dna kits and like again i don't want to just say like don't worry about it no big deal but i also hope you can Like, it probably is true that your father-in-law really loves his wife. And, yeah, it's complicated and not ideal, but it doesn't mean that everything was a lie. I mean, some things were a huge lie, but it doesn't mean that they didn't love each other.
1: And it doesn't mean that they didn't agree to tell that lie for what they thought was the best thing for their son. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Especially if it's a small town where everyone's gossiping. I mean, that's why, again, like, you may be surprised how many people, it turns out, knew about this for 30 years.
0: Right. I mean, we've especially if a it's a gossipy place. small
1: town. Exactly. Like I, this happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's so just, just, just not typical. The, the part that's unusual is marrying your secret relative. That is like yes. a wrinkle that I have not encountered before. Um, right. Luckily, you're not half siblings. That would be I'd be that I would be suggesting like other. That would things, be a bummer. Yeah, that would be a bummer. But like cousins, I feel like you can deal with this but it's gonna take cousins you can
0: totally work with you
1: can deal with it i just you know take some time to make sure like you're dealing with it because and you don't like don't feel like you have to make this work if he can't or if you can't or if this just becomes untenable but obviously you want to make your marriage work you say that in the letter so you know give it a shot I i believe that you can make this work um yeah but i would hesitate to go straight to let's talk to your family about
0: it yeah um and good luck. I hope you get that therapist. Good luck, yeah. You deserve a therapist. You deserve a lot of support Please right now. follow up
1: with Prudence because
0: I am fascinated to know how yep. this
1: turns out, honestly. And
0: anyone else who's listening who, like, is about to buy a DNA testing kit, just go ahead and don't get anything else. <laughs> buy a hat or a puppy. Yeah. And
1: don't get a puppy. I was just about to say the only thing, other thing you shouldn't get is don't get an animal as a gift. That's always a mistake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, not as a gift for someone. No. God, no. Yeah, no. But that's the thing she got it as like a gift for a birthday oh, present. It was the, the It gift. was his birthday present.
0: Oh god.
1: Happy it's... birthday like paternity crisis. Yeah, no, not great.
0: Okay. Speaking so, of
1: birthdays, do you want to read the next one?
0: Yes. Oh, thank you. God, I was like, now we have a nice relaxing birthday where all that happened is someone punched their mother. So the subject is birthday bash, and I just realized the 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 pun. double work that the word bash is doing um dear parents, i loved that letter writer it was by fabulous the way. yeah growing up my parents pitted my sister and me against each other they used my academic success to put down her intelligence while lecturing me that i should be more popular and sporty like her we ended up close in spite of them i was their favorite right up until i came out as gay before leaving for college they screamed and cried about how their little girl was ruined and the only thing that got me through that night was my sister holding my hand Since then, I've had limited contact with them and they've switched all their attention to her. I'm 20 and she turned 17 last week. I only visit home to see her, and I was there for her party. Our parents were, as usual, comparing us and making snide remarks about my lifestyle. At one point, an aunt complimented my haircut, and my mom contradicted her, launching into a rant about how I look like, quote, an ugly lesbian, and how tragic it is that she only has one, quote, real daughter left. My sister punched our mom in the face. She then yelled that they were despicable and should leave me alone. Obviously, the party ended, and my dad and I tried to calm my sister down. Our mom had hysterics and a black eye. My sister went to her room, and our parents told me to get out. I asked if I should take her with me for a while to give them all some space, but my dad said I'd been enough of a bad influence and to stay away. I left. They have since been calling me multiple times a day to yell at me for ruining my little sister and seem to think it's all my fault. My sister has been saying she can't live with them any longer. I want to ask her to move in with me. My girlfriend is fully on board. But I also don't want to destroy my family, which I think is happening now. I've always tried to keep it so my sister doesn't feel she has to choose sides between me and our parents. But now I don't know what choice I have. They say I can't ever come back to see her. I think she would say yes to moving in with me, although I'm also scared about upending her life. Is there a compromise I'm not seeing here? I feel guilty for what's happened, and I just want to do whatever's best for her. You are a saint!
1: Yeah. Uh, for, before we start, I just want to praise you on like your emotional intelligence at age 20, despite all of this horrible stuff that's happened to you, because I would just be losing my mind and not as like cogent about all of this as you are. So kudos for that. And kudos to your sister for the punch. No, that's not good. No violence. Violence is bad. But I also kind of
0: like was like, yeah. Secret. I, I mean, privately. I also get that that punch was about 17 years in the making. Um, so, yeah. And I'm not saying like, good, you should keep punching. But like. I get that she is 17 years old Mm -hmm. and has been, like, having to live with their focus on her, which does not sound pleasant. Like, I I think, letter writer, you're so worried about seeming neutral and peaceful and calm compared to your parents' absolute constant, like, hysterics and bigotry that you have, like, both sided yourself into... um, more neutrality than you need to. Like, you say that you don't want to ask her to choose between you and them, but, like, she wants to. She clearly would mm-hmm. love to choose. Um, and 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 frankly, like, uh, you know, I, I think that it probably is really awful for her living in that house. Like, I think she's miserable there. Just because she's not gay um, or, or getting, like, direct homophobic abuse doesn't mean that it's a good place for her to live or that it's not a horrible home environment. So, like, I think... Um, you can let go of some of that like it will be good for her to get out of there she wants to get out of there Um, they don't treat her well their version of love is confining and awful and you know constricting and she wants to go And, and you are helping her escape by offering her a place like You know, you're not the one destroying your family. Your parents are the ones who have spent your entire lives trying to turn the two of you against each other, trying to demean you both, trying to harass you out of being gay. Like, you know, you can let go of the both sides thing now. Like, your parents are really awful, and I'm so sorry that you had to grow up that way, and I'm so glad that you are able to offer your sister a place to go that is not their house, because she just deserves to be anywhere but there.
1: So I had, I mean, I had a very similar reaction. Like the sense, the the big takeaway I want you to have, um, letter writer, as Danny so eloquently put it, is like, you know, you're not destroying your family. Like your parents destroyed your family. They've made a choice, and it seems like it's something. I mean, from the beginning of your lives, they pitted you, the two of you, against each other. They created an environment where the family could be destroyed, and then they made a choice to destroy it because they couldn't accept you the way that you are. Um so that's not your fault and that's the most important thing that I think you need to focus on and it's hard, I know, when you're 20 years old not to blame yourself for things like that especially when it comes to your parents. But this just none of this is your fault. With regard to her moving in with you and leaving the home. I agree that it sounds like this house is a bad environment for her. But I also think it's important to just think like contemplate logistical stuff, which you know mm-hmm. there are details here that you like that I don't quite get because they're not provided like how far away do you live? Can she continue to go to the same school? Um can she, like, because she's 17, she's finishing up high school, presumably. Like, does she want to finish up school in the same place? Um, can you guys afford to, you know, make sure that she has health insurance? And, like, what's the situation with college tuition if she's planning on going to college and things like that? Like, I am not by any means suggesting that she should just stay because... She has to, but I do think that if if she needs that support system, I think you need, and, and she may, after this dies down, realize that she can't completely make it on her own right now, even with your help at 17. I think it's important for you to impress upon her that you won't be angry with her if she decides she has to stay. Um, Mm -hmm. because the relationship between the two of you is clearly really important to both of you and I think is keeping you both strong through a really difficult situation. So if she ends up having to pretend to be on their side because she needs to stay there, just make sure she knows that you won't hold it against her. Um, that's yeah. That being said, hopefully you guys are in a position where she can leave and it will be totally fine. I'm glad that your girlfriend's supportive. It's just a lot to take on at 20 and 17. And while I'm not saying you can't do it, I just think that there's a possibility that it won't work and she needs to know that her sister won't hate her if it doesn't work.
0: Yeah. And I love too just that reminder of like this is such an emotional moment. That it can be easy to think, like, just move in and we'll figure it all out. And right. I think it can be so, so good. Again, that doesn't mean, like, the day she moves in, you have to be like, now let's start talking about no you'll start to pay rent. Exactly. But, like, it is just good to remember that even though this is something that is being started for emotional reasons, it will still be an adjustment and it will still be really good to eventually, like sign some sort of like subleasing agreement just so you all know like what your responsibilities are to one another and so you don't like you know a year or two from now feel like okay at the time it felt important but now my girlfriend and I would really like to find a place of our own and I don't really know how much longer like I just want you to get in the habit now of having, like, frank, brisk, cheerful conversations about rental agreements and, you know, totally get if you can't start paying anything until, like, a year from now or whatever. It doesn't have to be any particular set of rules, just that you are used to having these kinds of conversations now um, so that you don't start to feel like she has to live with me forever.
1: Right. I just think, like, I think it would be good to get her out of that situation, but I think it's important to really assess whether you can provide that by yourself and whether mm-hmm. she is able to do that. Like, right now she's very upset, as she should be. Your parents sound horrible. Um, but, you know, will she, is she actually feeling able to make that leap? She's very young. So some people yeah. can't do that. And I, I don't know if she can or not. I don't know her. I hope that this works out for both of you because I think getting her out of there would be great. Um, And I don't think that this family is going to heal in in any time soon. I think that this is the kind of thing where years down the line, your parents might realize we made a mistake. We've lost our children. Maybe we need to reflect. Or they might just not. But right now, I don't think there's anything you can do that will make this a better situation for you or her besides getting her out of there or getting her to somewhere else. That's the other thing. Like – Um, Right. Do you have other family members who are – because, I mean, based on your age and you said you went away to college and everything, like, you're a student presumably. Like, I'm just worried about you supporting all of this. And I'm worried about, like – that I don't want you to end up in, an, in a situation where the environment isn't great for the two of you interpersonally either. And then that becomes, a, you know what I mean? Especially when it's like sort of, you don't want it to become a thing where two years down the line, you have a huge fight and she's like, I rejected our parents for you. And now, you know, not that I'm saying she would necessarily do that. But again, I don't know her. And this is such an emotional situation. So if you guys have other family members that could also help, older family members who are more sort of established in their careers or whatever that might be a good thing you know that's not to say it's absolutely something you have to get i'm just thinking of ways that it could be potentially easier for you to make this transition you know community members also like friends of the fa- friends of yours friends of the family th- th- just i would say you shouldn't try to go this alone you should ask for help wherever you may be able to get it because i think people will understand the scenario when you deliver it yes. to them like pretty clearly
0: yeah and just again like you feel guilty for what's happened but like what happened you went to a party with a haircut do you know yeah, what I mean? like really like, like, like you're gay absolutely that's all not- you did yeah like <laughs> and you didn't this do that it just is Yeah. It's not like a situation where like your parents were 80 percent in the wrong, but you were 20 percent in the wrong and it's important to own your own part. No, you showed up with your hair. Someone tried to say something nice to you and your mom argued with them.
1: The aunt is the one who made me think of like, what's up with the rest of your family? Because the aunt was trying to signal to you that she supports you expressing yourself the way that you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So if the aunt is the one who was like, your hair looks nice, that's to me, if she knows your parents are homophobic, sort of a veiled, I'm a safe person message to give to you. Right,
0: right. And right. so
1: maybe she would be willing to help because I just think what's important here is that if your sister gets out of that environment, that she have a stable environment to arrive in. Mm-hmm. yeah, If at all exactly. possible.
0: So, you know, good luck. This is really complicated. And I yeah, just, this is a tough one. I, you but I wish you so much Lovely luck. and... Get a lot of distance from your parents. Just a lot. Yeah, they got to work on
1: themselves. And even then, you're not obligated to, like, ever speak to them again, in my opinion, frankly. Exactly.
0: So this next one uh, is—it's a little bit long. I think it actually boils down to something pretty simple. I think my answer to this is going to be pretty short. But uh, Okay, well, we'll I'll read it, and then I'll I'll let you give your
1: short answer. Perfect. I bet bet we're going to be somewhat aligned on this. And if we're not, it'll be interesting. We can have a spirited debate. Um, So this one— Was, is interesting. They're also interesting. Danny sent me these and I was just like, these are great. I don't know how you do this every week though. I would be very stressed out like having to tease out so many problems regularly. So subject, accidentally moved next to my racist ex. Like that one made my eyes kind of like bug out a little when I read it. So I was like, what could this be about? So dear Prudence, 10 years ago, I dated a man for six months. Gradually, it became evident that he and his friends embraced misogynist, racist stereotypes about women. When the relationship ended, he made multiple disparaging comments about my body, told me that I smelled revolting, that I looked awkward and mannish, and that he felt nothing but disgust when he saw me naked. He then told me how terribly sad he felt for himself that he was losing my friendship and that he wished he felt differently. It was excruciating. I went to therapy to investigate why I spent six months with someone who was so casually horrid, and I have a much deeper understanding of white supremacy, patriarchy, and my own responsibilities and vulnerabilities as a result. Fast forward, and I am happily married to a kind, brilliant man. My career is thriving. We have two great kids and just put a down payment on a house. I recently visited the neighborhood cafe to get acquainted with the area, and this ex was there, though I pretended not to see him. He was with two young kids and a woman who appeared to be his wife. When I got home, I found out through Google that he lives a block away from our new home. I have no desire ever to interact with him. He still nauseates me. One of his kids at the cafe was my daughter's age, wearing the kind of sparkly headband that is like a friendship beacon for my preschool-aged daughter. I know that when their pads cross, which they will inevitably, whether at the playground down the block or at school, my daughter will seek her out for friendship. I can't bear the thought of having to interact with my ex. Playdates are out of the question. What do I do when this comes up? If it was just the adults, I could deal with it, but the kid element complicates things tremendously. Do I tell my daughter that she's not allowed to play with this girl because of things her father did a decade ago? Do we try to find a different house and take the financial hit? Please don't tell me that I'm borrowing trouble. They are literally five houses away, and I know this is going to come
0: up. So um, I I agree that you will probably occasionally run into him. I think that the fear that if my daughter sees this headband, she will want this girl to be her best friend and I will have no option but to spend a lot of time with him is – I i do think that's borrowing trouble. I think there's stuff mm-hmm. you can do there. I agree. She's preschool age. She's not like 15 starting to form like friendships that might last the rest of her life. Like, you know, she can – you have a lot of um, uh, authority that you can exercise over where your preschool age daughter goes because you drive the car.
1: Yeah, I mean, I so when you say, like, if it was just the adults, I could deal with it. But um, I think on some level, it is just the adults. Do you know what I mean? Like, your kids, his daughter and your daughter don't know anything about this. And right. nor should they, um, in my opinion. And, you know, assuming they do end up interacting, I mean... Now, there's one point at which I sort of would understand. Like, you know, you don't... Um, say this explicitly but i would assume that you are that he is white and you are a person of color based on the the letter and if that's what you're specifically concerned about that like that your daughter will be subjected to like racist abuse of some kind that is a very
0: actually i can clarify because i had to edit it down but this letter writer is white
1: oh Um, well then that there was just a lot more backstory okay well then i I mean yeah well i mean good for you for objecting to like Racism, but I was. If that if that was yeah. like a personal like I'm afraid for my child's safety, that's a very different matter. But if that's the case, then I, I really do think then that this boils down to a dilemma between the two of you. It's been ten years. Um, maybe he's still a huge asshole, or maybe he's bettered himself. I'm not – who who knows? But you have certainly bettered yourself, as you've said. You're like, I went to therapy. I became a much stronger person. I'm like on some – you know, uh, you learned a lot from the experience and your own vulner- – and learned about yourself. And, um, you know, so on some level, I, I think that you're like triggered by this unexpected – Yeah recurrence which makes total sense but I mm-hmm. mean, you certainly shouldn't sell the house like because of the, like you can't let him have that kind of power over you you know what I mean in my opinion
0: yeah I, I agree that it doesn't quite meet the standard of I can I can certainly imagine uh, you know if other things had happened in that relationship and you were like I cannot live near this person absolutely um, but like you know you could do it but I, th- I, I, I basically here's what I think I think you tell your partner um, and you just say, like, if I ever see this guy walking down the street, I don't have to worry about whether he's a better person or not. I get to say I never want to see him again. And that's totally fine. Absolutely. And I'm just going to leave. And so I think just to say, like, again, I think you're imagining that your, like, four or three-year-old daughter is going to say, like, but mom, this little girl is my favorite. No other little girl will do as my best friend. Why are you taking me away from her? And I think some of that is just that fear of something's going to force me to be around him. Right. And I really don't think, like, you can just say, like, sweetheart, we've got to go. um, Or no, we can't do that. And And deal with, like, redirecting towards any other little girl in a sparkly headband. Of, of which there are many.
1: I'll just say like, you know, I don't have any kids, but in my experience, I don't know anyone who does have kids whose kids like hang out with someone whose parents the parents hate. Like I don't, you know, like even if you know at that age, I mean, like once they're in high school, like, you know, or whatever, or even middle school, like that's a little bit out of your hands because they're making friends at school. But in terms of like arranging playgroup and stuff like the parents do that. So mm-hmm. I just don't think you're going to be forced into this situation unless you allow that to take place and and you can just I think you can just prevent that. Now, the bigger yeah. question is like your comfort level in terms of being in his vicinity at all. Um and I think mm-hmm. that the I think that like Danny's saying I think that the daughter concern is more you thinking up, like, the worst possible scenarios in which you would be forced to interact with him a lot. But I think that the real problem is that, like, you're afraid you're going to have to interact with him at all because of the mm-hmm. proximity. So I think that's sort of the root of the problem, and you and you have to kind of figure that out. I would say, like, maybe talk to your spouse also, uh, if you haven't already. Absolutely. Um, because they may have some insight on this. Um, oh, it's a husband. He may have some insight on yeah. this. Um, you know, I just think that the you know I think this is sort of an, a, a problem among the adults and I'm not suggesting that you reach out to the sky or anything like that but you know I think you should I think you should stand your ground and keep the great house that you've moved into with your great husband and your great kids and I think that you said like you know you went to therapy and you processed this and you came out stronger and I think that you can just sort of, illustrate that by existing powerfully Um, and maybe he'll take notice and maybe he won't you know but this is obviously a very uncomfortable situation but I don't think I don't think it's necessarily a reason to inconvenience yourself and take a big financial hit god you know Mm -hmm. above all other things like that is that sucks for a young family
0: yeah, and again, I totally understand. Like, this was a horrible breakup. This is a horrible guy. I totally oh yeah, he sounds horrible. Just the anxiety of like, I don't even want to have to fucking see this guy. Like, when I'm at the grocery store, and, and so I don't want to like dismiss that or say like, just it'll be fine. Don't worry. That's awful, and and I'm so sorry that that has happened. um But I I do think that um talking to your partner about it, talking to your friends about it, and just like you don't owe him shit. Like if he. If you run into him and you want to give him the fucking cold shoulder, do it. If he tries to talk to you, God forbid, you can just say, like, the last time we talked was enough for me. I never want to speak to you again. Leave me alone. Um, Do that. Absolutely. Like, let him know in no uncertain terms that um, he needs to keep his distance from you.
1: Yeah, establish Um, your boundaries
0: totally okay and and ask anybody in your life for a little extra emotional support right now and if part of what that means is like to your partner like as we're moving in i would really appreciate like even when we're just running errands with the kids like i would love for you to come with me whenever possible or to do the errands um just for the like immediate moving in period because i'm really anxious about running into him by myself again um and I just think that that's okay to ask for. Like, ask for the things that you need right now um, in order to make moving in a fun and exciting prospect that's not just dominated by, like, him. Um, but also don't don't try to talk yourself out of feeling bad. Like, if you just no, feel I mean, shitty about it, that is okay. Yeah, yeah
1: this sucks, obviously. I mean, it's, it almost feels... Like a narrative, right? Like you're like how like it's it's like your life coming full circle in this weird way. And it's I such think an it's a
0: novel. Like It, it is, is like a novel, novel
1: premise, right? And I feel like, yeah. you know, I'm not a religious person, but or like a fatalistic person, but it it does have a. I am someone who works in literature, and it mm-hmm. almost has a bit of a quality to it where it's like, well, the worst thing that could happen to you is happening theoretically. Like you're stuck in proximity to this guy. How are you going to deal with it? Like how are you going to mm-hmm move forward and, like, be the person who has recovered from his emotional abuse and is, like, you know, secure and, and happy. Um, and so- Honestly,
0: I, if it were me, I would, like, try to secretly undermine him in ways that he would never be able to trace back to me and run him out of town. But I would yeah, but dedicate that, but, my entire life to it and, like, ruin my own life in the process.
1: Right. I'm not, like, necessarily suggesting that that's a good plan, but it would also be my, like, desperate housewife-style instinct. So, I, you know, but—so <laughs> um, we won't blame you if you do, but that's not—that is not a recommendation. Um, you know, for the most part, I would just say keep your distance. And I think that you can establish boundaries that he will hopefully respect. Um, and if he doesn't, honestly, talk to his wife, in my opinion. I mean, I, I don't like, know tell it, if he like, doesn't respect well, it.
0: Be like your husband's if he
1: starts harassing you like, you know, I don't know. I mean, figures. I, I, I mean, I really I
0: really hope it doesn't come to that. But I it hopefully it won't come to that. Come to that. That's right? what I'm like, saying. Like, if it not comes just to the that, tell not, the whole just, no, not
1: just the wife, but tell. Right. Exactly. Tell the, the homeowners association like whatever, because, you know, if he's yeah. still like the complete asshole that you dated 10 years ago, which is entirely possible because lots of people don't change or grow. Um, Right. And he decides to go out of his way to antagonize you. Like, take any recourse you have because you didn't do anything wrong here. Like we said to the previous letter writer, like you're the victim in this situation, uh, the survivor of his poor treatment of you. And like, you shouldn't have to sacrifice anything to make him more comfortable or to like avoid him it should be
0: the onus should be on him to be a good person and i would just say too like i just don't care like whether or not he has changed you still have to live with the things that he did like he can't change in such a way that undid what he happened exactly what he did to you so like again if he has changed for the better that's great although apparently that change has not involved like trying to make Amends, like amends with amends you people, or anything, right, yeah. Yeah, but, like, it just doesn't matter. I don't care if he's, right, like, no, the like, greatest dad in the world. Screw him. undo how he treated you. Um, but, yeah, talk to your partner. And, you know, if it just helps you to say out loud, one of the things I'm feeling right now is a desire to pull out our down payment and move somewhere else, and I just need to say that, and I want to share it with somebody, and I realize we're probably not going to do that, but I just need to name it, that might be helpful. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes it can be good to remind yourself of, like, if I needed to— and I and I felt like it was worth losing the thousands of dollars and starting over again. I have that as an absolute like nuclear option, and sometimes that just makes you feel a little bit more free when it comes to thinking about what you're going to do next. And good luck. Oh God, this next one.
1: Oh God, the next one. Yeah. this is the this one yeah, is yeah. a little lighter than like this, the last two have been pretty heavy. The last three, honestly, they're all pretty. He- I guess that's why they're writing into an advice column, isn't it? That is sort of the premise. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean this next one is. This
1: next one's more like we're gonna rap about this a little in like a way that uh, I don't know. It's gonna be. I think this is gonna be a little bit lighter. So why don't you read it? I think this
0: is gonna be great. I think it's gonna be fun. Subject line is "Get
1: excited, (laughs) readers." I'm so excited.
0: Troubled, try curious, dear Prudence. My husband and I have been a monogamous couple for 10 years, and neither of us have any experience with polyamory. Recently, he's told me that he has started having feelings for a mutual female friend of ours. This didn't bother me as I trust him to be honest and faithful. In the same conversation, he gently suggested the possibility of inviting her into our relationship and asked if I'm attracted to her as well. I'm a bisexual woman, as is she, and I do find her attractive. My husband was clear that he wasn't considering this as a fun one-off threesome, but that he would like to invite her to join as a long-term partner. I find this idea both exciting and terrifying. I've definitely considered polyamory in a theoretical way, but I never expected that my husband would be interested. The more I think about it, the more I like the idea of also having a female partner, and I really like this woman. But I see so many ways for it to go wrong. Of course there's the worry that she wouldn't take the proposition well and we could lose her friendship. I also worry about telling family and friends about it if she becomes our girlfriend. I worry that bringing in someone new would rekindle old jealousy issues, him, of me, from early in our relationship that we've since worked through. I'm also feeling insecure that he might want to bring in a new partner because he doesn't find me as attractive as he used to, or that she might only be interested in him and not me. She's also a bit younger than us, and I worry she might not be at the phase of life that we're at. We're looking to buy our first home and start having children. Lastly, it seems like it could be really difficult to bring someone new into a relationship that has 10 years of history behind it. Prudy, I'm all mixed up. I want to throw caution to the wind, but that's never been my strong suit. Am I overthinking things?
1: Yikes, 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 yikes. Um, no, so just you're...
0: real quick, you are <laughs> n- underthinking it.
1: Underthinking, yeah. You're really strenuously underthinking things uh, in my Humble opinion,
0: um, like ooh. every every question that you've brought up is a super reasonable question. My eyebrows kept inching
1: toward my hairline, like every new sentence of this, and, until it was sort of. I like... also
0: just. Um, like I don't want to be so hard on you because I think some of this is good and great like you, the two of you are getting clarity that polyamory is something that interests you absolutely there are certain things about it that also feel anxiety inducing but you do want to talk about it more and possibly pursue it there's some things that you're both on the same page about in terms of what direction you want polyamory to look like all of that is good um yeah I think the, the lines, lines of communication you, between
1: the two of you seem like pretty open and that's a good thing
0: for sure but the level of communication is like you just had like one conversation about it and you two are contemplating asking a woman if she wants to like become your partner which is like you just missed 50 steps
1: so i'm not a polyamorous person so i'm speaking somewhat out of turn here but i have friends who are and i i think it's a perfectly like fine and valid lifestyle or orientation or whatever you want to call it. Um I just don't think that the way you start that conversation is I think Cindy's hot, do we want to invite Cindy to be our girlfriend.
0: Especially when you think about like how has any relationship you've ever been in started? Did it ever start with someone who was a friend saying, "Do you want to be my partner?" or did it always start with at least a date or a hookup or asking for one of those things? Like
1: And that's not to say that friends don't become lovers sometimes, because that can definitely happen. But there's something that happened to me, but we talked about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and there's, I just think there's a power dynamic here that's tricky also, because like, picture for a second that you are the friend. You're a bit younger. You don't say how much younger, but enough that you aren't sure that she would be game for your like plans to have children, which again, like putting the cart before the horse a little bit, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, if my, if I was hanging out with this slightly older couple and they suddenly like approached me like, hi, we'd like you to become our girlfriend, that would stress me out. And I don't know how I would feel like, you know, it would, I would be like, have they been friends with me specifically because they were trying to like lure me in sexually? Like, what do they expect of me? You know, it's a lot to lay on someone and it's not even hey we think you're hot would you like to have a threesome it's like hi would you like to join our relationship which is just like a huge
0: and like by the way we've never done this before we've never done this and before and we're planning on having kids in the next couple of years
1: but would you like to like move in and be like part of our triad like I just feel like that's there. I just can't see a scenario in which I mean I suppose there is the outside chance that should be like great I've been longing for that the entire time we've been friends but
0: it seems unlikely to me that that will be the reaction right Um, So I would say what you can do with this instinct right now is learn more about polyamory. So like you should not be the only potentially polyamorous people you know. You should be going and like looking up what are like kind of well-respected books within the various polyamorous Mm -hmm. communities about how to go about looking for like-minded people, how to ask friends out in a way that leaves a lot of room for them to say no. Um, how to communicate with your partner about your own insecurities, which are, again, totally legitimate. I don't want you to feel like if we do something polyamorous, it means all bets are off, we have no rules, no one's allowed to feel jealous, I'm not allowed to stop something if I'm like, hey, this brings up an insecurity for me and I want my primary partner to be here for me. Like, all of those are necessary. I really think you two should find maybe, like, local polyamory meetups so that you can talk to people who actually have experience doing this and you can run your ideas by them.
1: There are a lot of online communities also um, that might be useful. Like I know that I know there are people who I know people who are like involved in like online Facebook groups or forums or things like that where they discuss stuff like this because sometimes you are the only one in your immediate community who's living this kind of life. But like you can definitely find people at least in your state or in the vicinity, you know, who you can meet and then become friends with. Um, I just think that you have no... I mean, here's the thing. Just because you're both bisexual women doesn't mean she has any attraction to either you or your husband. And I think think that it's just – it feels like you're sort of assuming that she'll say yes, which to me feels not great. And I also think that there's Mm – so there's also a couple things here that I think are deeper issues that you need to talk about with him before you – go before you even open the relationship at all. Um like when you say like I'm insecure because I think maybe he doesn't find me attractive anymore. You need to ask him is that what's like if you're going to have these open lines of communication, they need to go deeper than just the surface level of we think it might be appealing to like have an open relationship or to have polyamorous relationships. You need to be able to say, hey, like the reason I'm a little hesitant about this, apart from the fact that we don't know if Cindy, I've just assigned her name, I'm sorry. If like Cindy sure. would be interested in this is like, I'm worried that you, that I've gotten too old for you and I'm not attractive to you anymore. Or I'm worried that, mm-hmm. you know, you're just looking to have a girlfriend and don't really care if like she'd be interested in me or the thing, the sort of the, the, the qualms that you're raising in this letter um, are, I think, mm-hmm. conversations that you and your husband need to have before you move forward at all with anyone. Um, right.
0: And it's not a sign that you can't do something about your desire to become polyamorous. But no, it not mean at all. That, like, you two should be able to talk regularly and openly about your fears and insecurities and, and to also kind of share in the commitment of, like, this kind of comes first right now. Like, we always need to make sure that we know where the other one is at and that we're aware of one another's fears. Not so we can immediately fix them or reassure ourselves out of them, um, but so it's all out in the open. It's all out on the table. Um, and we're not just trying to avoid conversations by bringing in new people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just think like if anything, you know, it's a, you say like your husband is like not just trying to have like a menage a trois, but like honestly, maybe like a place to start would be to mm-hmm. explore that kind of stuff and just like sexually open rather than emotionally open the relationship just to begin with, because it sounds like your hesitations are mostly on the emotional end. So, you mm-hmm. know, if you both if you would like to have sex with women and your husband would like to participate and you can find women who are game for that, that sounds great to me as long as you're communicating about what your comfort level is and what you want to do and what you don't want to do
0: and what you want him to do and don't want him to do. Um and that you're all agreed. And I I really think the best way to channel this desire is not to immediately ask out your friend, but to start looking for other polyamorous people to talk to and potentially hook up with, Date, go out yeah. with, get to know. Yeah, like I think that that's going to go a lot better than, hey, none of us have ever done this before and um, we we have a lot of unanswered questions. Like, And that doesn't mean you can never, ever try to ask her out someday, but that it might actually be a better idea to start with somebody who does know what they're doing.
1: And I think that you want to be really confident in this lifestyle before you, like, approach this person whose friendship you value and potentially mess it up. Um, Like, if you're going to approach her about this, I think you both need to be really confident about what you're doing. And you don't sound enormously confident about what you're doing. You sound nervous about it, which is understandable. But I think that you need to kind of get your sea legs before you invite her onto the boat.
0: Yeah, and just again, I don't I don't want to like slap you down, but it's just like I think a, and again, not everybody has the same experience. Some people love stuff that other people get driven totally driven, driven totally nuts by. Um I do think anecdotally speaking, a lot of bisexual women feel especially when they're single, feel a lot of requests from couples that are sort of like, "Hey, we like this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're bisexual, so you definitely be game, right?" So she may have, like, a little bit of unicorn fatigue. Um And and it's just really good to remember All that... All the
1: bi women I know say that, like, Tinder is a, is, like, a nightmare of constantly being, like, accosted by couples. So she may, like, be exhausted.
0: Yeah, and again, I don't want to speak for her. I do know that there are also bisexual women who are like, you don't fucking speak for me. I actually really enjoy it as long as people are asking me in a non-shitty way. But... As a as a trend, it is definitely true that more couples reach out to bi women looking for either a third or a new partner or a threesome than vice versa. Um, There is not like a national trend of single bisexual women going up to couples and being like, "Hello, couple,
1: would you like to open it up? I think you're both gorgeous." Right? No, that seems less frequent. And I think not impossible. No, and I think the age differential here is also something to keep in mind. Like you don't specify that, but it's clearly enough of a gap that it's something that you thought about. So that's also something I think, you know, I'm just sort of like, I need more information. Like, would you like to know more? Yes. Like about that? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Yeah.
0: And also just really like you and your husband will need to figure out together, hey, if we want to start thinking about having a new partner and we want to start having kids, what are our thoughts there? How are we going to work that out? Um, Would we want that person to have like a potential legal relationship to right. those kids? Um, Does would the we kid want that know that this to... person
1: is our partner? Like, you know, things
0: like that. Right. Would we be interested in someday potentially coming out to our family? And if not, you know, that might be a lot to ask of this third person that like we get to have the publicly recognized relationship and you have to sometimes pretend to be our roommate.
1: Especially um, if kids are involved and the, and the partner is invested in the children. So, you know, that is asking a lot of her.
0: Yeah. And so I'm not saying all this to be like, Just give up. Don't do it. I'm just saying these are all questions you need at least partial answers to before you proceed. And it's going to take a lot of conversation and a lot of groundwork. And I really think you are underthinking it or, or rather these are all the right questions. And the next move is not, hey, we'll figure it out as we go. Let's ask her out. It's Let's learn more. Let's meet either virtually or in real life a lot of other people who are doing this. Let's ask them questions about how they handle these things. And let's figure out what's going to work for us. And then also, if and when we start asking people out, how are we going to make it really, really clear that um, we will super respect other people's boundaries if they say that is not for me, I'm not interested.
1: Right, and I think you also do have to prepare yourself for the real possibility that if you do approach her with this, she will no longer be interested in being your friend if she's not interested. Because I think she may feel Skipped.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's just part of it too. You can, and that goes for almost any friendship, I think. Any friendship where you approach friend, someone's you,
1: actually, right, exactly.
0: Yeah, you always run at least some of a risk. Yeah, if even if I say this really well, they just, it might change things and I'm okay with that or I think it's worth the risk and so um, be mindful that like, That will be present here, too. And um, good luck. I really do think that there are ways that you can explore this well and healthily and and with great love and compassion with your husband. I don't think this is it just yet, but I hope you figure something out that's really fun for you.
1: Yeah, I think it sounds like you're starting on the right foot, but you're really just starting. So, like, do some homework
0: before you really go for it. Exactly. All right. This next one is all you.
1: Okay. Uh, Subject, ADHD or unavailability. Dear Prudence, I have an old friend who is very dear to me. They have had a very roller coaster couple of years since they came out, and I've been excited and supportive, including during a scary mental health crisis. But I feel the energy has become one sided. They don't ever ask about what's up in my life anymore or follow up about things I was working through the last time we talked. I've mentioned this kind of following up is something that makes me feel cared for, and they've basically said their ADHD means they are not capable of doing this. This rings alarm bells for me, as I've been in previous friendships and relationships where this is code for I am unwilling to do reciprocal emotional labor. This friend's ex has characterized their relationship that way as well. If I bring stuff up about my life, my friend will engage with it, but they never ask, and I'm also starting to notice that they just don't initiate contact with me very much anymore, though they seem to put stock in keeping me as a friend while their social world shifts rapidly. I feel like I don't matter so much to them on my own terms. In any other friendship, this would be the moment to stop reaching out, put the ball in their court, and see if they pick it up. But I hesitate to do this here. Am I expecting too much from someone who's undergoing an extremely intense time? Should I just be supportive for a bit and expect little in return? This friend has been reading a lot into other friends' actions lately, assuming people are pulling away since they came out, which I'm sympathetic to because my friend has legitimately been treated more distantly by some people. But I don't want to pretend my needs don't exist to protect my friend. What do you think?
0: I think this isn't the total point here, but I do think it's important to at least be mindful of like the origins and the meaning of the phrase emotional labor. Um, Mm -hmm. That that, That stood out to me also. Term with an origin, it comes from the work of sociologist Arlie Hochschild, and and it has to do with sort of emotional regulations that a a person has to meet in order to meet the requirements of their job. Um, And and I, I think it's not totally meaningless to sometimes talk about ways in which that can creep into other areas of life but i do think that um it's pretty important that it has to do with um the emotional work a person is doing on the clock in order to make money um and and the sort of just like whether or not your friend calls you enough is not the same thing it might have to do with it's become a closer usage yeah yeah but it's not the same thing and right that's. I think that's that's worth paying attention to. I think sometimes there's like concept creep that can mm-hmm. come into play where all of a sudden people are using emotional labor to say things like "I faved one of your tweets" and now we're fighting because you don't fave enough of my tweets, and it just it, it can get too far removed. And that's right.
1: know I, no, I think that the fact that it's like a premise of of niceness under capitalism that's like required of the working class is like really important to the, the actual concept. Yeah. And so I, I I appreciate you pointing that out because I made a note of that as well. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, I think that you know the answer to this, because you Mm -hmm. kind of said it. Um, You know, I completely understand and appreciate that you are trying to be sensitive to the fact that your friend uh, recently came out, recently had a mental health crisis, has other people distancing themselves, and you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be a bad friend. But the fact is that your friend is being a bad friend. Um, Mm -hmm. And... It, it's really just that simple on some level. So I think what you have to decide is like, is this a friendship that is still worthwhile to you? Is it something that makes you feel good more than it makes you feel bad? And that's not to say you need to like make a pros and cons list. I'm just saying, is this something that you do want to salvage? Because if it is, then I think there are ways you can approach it that are not enormously confrontational, but that might provoke a conversation that would be helpful. So, you know, you've said that you have pointed out to them that, you know, being cared for and having someone check in on you is important to you in a friendship. Um and the ADHD excuse that they're using. I mean, I have ADD. That's not I think that that's kind of a BS excuse, honestly. Um, I don't forget to, like, ask people about their day. Um, You know, but I think that one way of going about it would be, like, you know, I really value your opinion, and there's a lot going on in my life, and I really always value your input, and, like, talking about my life with you is important to me, and I, I, you know, that's something I value is, like, I want your take on what's going on in my day, so I wish that you would... Start those conversations more because I just want to feel like I can ask you things and I'm not burdening you with my problem. You know, like sort of make it more about you can make it more about yourself rather than being like you're being bad. Because I think if you go to a place of like you're being a bad friend, even though I think that they kind of are, um, mm-hmm. that that's going to lead to a more tense conversation that's not going to be helpful. Yeah. If you and want I'll to maintain the too, friendship,
0: yeah, I, I will say. Um, my my friends with ADHD and ADD are very thoughtful, and um, while they struggle with a number of things, uh, being kind and thoughtful friends or asking me about my day is not one of them. And I just find that I, I don't know that that's an assertion about their own condition that you need to give a lot of weight to. That doesn't mean you have to get into an argument with them about what their ADHD does and doesn't affect. Um, I, I just think in terms of thinking about what you need next, um, I, I would not worry about that assertion. Um, is, is all I'll say there. You say that they've had a very roller coaster couple of years since they came out, which says to me two things. Um, you know, you say that I'm sympathetic because they're going through a really intense time. Well, it sounds like the intense time has lasted a couple of years. And so when you, when you worry, like, should I just be supportive for a bit? Um, it sounds like you've done that for several cycles of bits. So this, this didn't just happen a month ago. This wasn't just a week ago. It's been a couple of years. Um, and that's not to say that people don't sometimes go through very difficult years. Um, it's just like, if you if you say, should I be supportive for a little bit, what do you think is going to change in a month or two? Um, and if the answer is probably nothing, I think that you don't need to wait and collect more information. Um, so the, the other concerns, in addition to, like, I do care about this person... Um, uh, that's the only one that I think really matters. The stuff about, like, some of their other friends have been distant, um, since they came out, that's really too bad. Um, Yeah, that's not your responsibility. Yeah, and, and that has nothing to do with your situation. And then the other one is, like, they've been reading a lot into other friends' actions lately, assuming everyone's been pulling away. Um, and that to me says... I'm I'm a little worried if I do pull away, my friend's gonna talk shit about me.
1: Right. It sounds like like you're worried about the appearance
0: of being Yeah, or they won't think well of me. And it's like that's too bad. But
1: you know You can't control that. And like if they're going to You can't have
0: both. Right. So yeah, I think you gotta um pull away, put the ball back in their court, see if they pick it up. And if they only reach out to complain that you're not doing all the stuff that you used to do, then I think you can honestly say like, yep, that was starting to feel like a lot for me. And, um, you know, I just I want to prioritize friendships where my friends ask me how I'm doing. Um, And if they're like, that's an unreasonable expectation, you can just go ahead and say, I don't agree that it's unreasonable. And I wish you the best.
1: Yeah. And, And again, if you, you know, if you if they do reach out and you do. Talk about it. I think there are ways that you could approach it without like being sort of accusatory, but I also think that that's not, you know, I think that their comfort level is not necessarily the most important thing in this case because I think they're, you know, not being supportive of you and that you feel it and you know that you're not enjoying this friendship
0: right now because you basically said you know what to do. You don't need to get into an argument about whether or not your expectations are reasonable. You just get to draw boundaries when your expectations aren't being met. Right. Just be like, this is what I needed a friendship and I'm not getting it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if your friend's like, I disagree, I think your expectations for friendship are reasonable, then that's actually probably a sign that this friendship was not going to continue much longer. Right. Then find the other friends who won't demand that of you. Yeah. And, and I understand that idea of like, I don't really... Get much out of this friendship anymore, and I'm mostly just keeping this up. One because I feel guilty because other people haven't been nice to them, and two because I'm worried that they're going to be really mad at me. And it's just like you cannot be friends with somebody only because you're afraid of what they'll do if you stop doing all this work to make them happy, or like you can, but you'll be very miserable. Yeah, I mean that's like a, that's um, like
1: you're like sort of blackmailing yourself, you know, and to, to convince okay. yourself to stay. Like if the if if you do stop being friends with this person, and this person does st- tell people. They stop being friends with me because they're a bigot or whatever. Like, that sucks. And it always sucks to be, like, accused of something that feels unjust. But, like, you can't control that. And that can't be something that you focus on when you're assessing whether or not a relationship is, like, toxic to your well-being. Right.
0: Frankly, they might do it anyways. I right. just think And, again, it's not like you have to, you know, you're, you're not even saying I'm at the point where I want to, like, block them. You're right. just saying, like, I want to scale back. And I just think that's super, super reasonable.
1: And it's entirely possible that if you do scale back, they'll realize that they need to do more for you. And maybe the friendship recovers. But right now, you're not happy. And I think that's the bottom line.
0: Yeah. So. All right. We're going to move on to another easy one because we're ending on a kind of more challenging. The last one's hard. But this next one is is pretty simple, I think. Mm This one is just your husband is being your a husband jerk.
1: just fucking sucks. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Of course you can. I already have, I'm but I'm like just swear. oops, like asking for forgiveness yeah. Yeah. rather than permission. Yeah. My dad. Yeah. Um. All right. It is weird because it's like, wait, is this work? Are we? At I was work? like, are, are, we are we at we work? I'm no, in a fancy studio. I don't yeah. know exactly what's going on. I don't know what Slate's brand, you know, insists upon with regard to f bombs. Just checking. Anyway, go go ahead. Yes, sorry. Fine. You're great.
0: Okay. So the subject is Christmas in July gone awry. Thank you for rhyming. Love. There's so that. many good rhymes and puns in all the letters this week. Dear Prudence, due to distance and conflicting schedules, my husband and I can't spend Christmas with family, so we do Christmas in July at our beach house. My elderly parents adore it. The present exchange means the world to them, but while their gifts are thoughtful and well-intended, some are not especially us. Think souvenirs from places that they've visited or books that we're not especially into, etc. These are the gifts that mean the most to them because they've picked them out specially. I just feign interest and then take the items home to give away. My husband, however, shows little interest and will often visibly toss things out or leave them behind. His family doesn't exchange presents, and he cannot see how his actions hurt my parents' feelings. It breaks my heart to see the disappointment in my dad's eyes when he finds the DVD that he just gave my husband carelessly shoved away. I've asked my husband to at least pretend, but he says that we should just be honest instead. I say that this is a small gesture of kindness, which makes the people who love us happy. What say you?
1: I say your husband's a jackass. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I say.
0: I like love the that you're trying to, and I mean I get it. You're in a difficult position, but like the the trying to excuse it by saying like, well, his family doesn't do gift oh exchanges, my God, I know. so he doesn't so, know how to be like a you know, polite
1: human being. Like that's wild.
0: He couldn't possibly have picked up the idea that it's rude to throw someone's gift away after they've given it to you while they're still he there. He fucking knows. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, like, whatever his family background with gift giving is, um, he knows that it's rude, and he's doing it on purpose um so let's not pretend that it smells better than it does
1: right and so then the fact is he's doing it on purpose so then the larger question is like why is he doing it on purpose is he just completely tactless which is possible um or is this Mm -hmm. like a passive-aggressive way of getting back at your parents who he doesn't like or at you for some some reason like what is this because it's aggressive it's an aggressive thing to do yes and You know, especially to be like, well, we should be honest instead. And it's like, well, okay, maybe he needs to be honest with you about what's going on in his head because this is weird behavior. It's a strange thing to do.
0: Also, it's a major norm violation. It is passive aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's not honest because if it were honest, he would say to them, hey, it's kind of you or whatever, but I really don't like or appreciate or use these gifts. Can you stop?
1: I feel like you're I feel like you're wasting your money and maybe we could talk more openly about what we all like to receive as gifts or something. Like, and I'm not suggesting right. you do that because, again, I think that's a little weird. Like, I think you should just be gracious about gifts because right. they're gifts. But, you know, uh, especially if it's something that brings your elderly parents joy. Like, he should really just chill out. But, yeah, exactly. He's not being forthright. He's being, like, underhanded on some level. He's and like bitchy. Yeah, he's just, like, being a bitch. Like, I don't get I, – I, I don't see – any justification for this behavior. So yeah. that's, like, something you just need to... Like, if someone... Like, that's the honesty you guys need to find. It it's not, has nothing to do with your parents. Right. It's like, why are you behaving this way? Why are you disrespecting my family this way?
0: Right. Yeah, and I think that's the way to frame it. Like, I think that that's the key, is, like, when you go to your husband and you say, like, you say it's about honesty, but you don't actually, you know, tell my parents to stop buying us presents, so I don't believe that. Um, it hurts their feelings... And it creates extra work for me because I have to comfort them after the fact. Knowing that it hurts my parents and it's hard for me, I want to know why you choose to do this every time we get together to hurt us. Is there something else that's really bothering you and you're acting out in this way? Please explain to me why, knowing how much it's difficult for the rest of us, you would want to do this again. And, like, let him sit in that uncomfortable silence and and make him answer like whatever answer comes to mind like he needs to get honest about this and then at the end of that to say like what i'm asking of you um is to not openly throw little presents in the trash that my parents have given us at the very least if you can just say thank you and leave the gifts there and let me put them in my suitcase that is literally nothing that is no work for you right Do you think that you can commit to that Right Like
1: he's on some level doing more work by being nasty to them than he would by just mm-hmm. being nice. So that means he's going out of his way to be mean, which to me like bespeaks a deeper issue that is not being addressed. So right. get at the heart of that and just also like tell him to stop like I- I'm sorry I-, I it's just it's so bizarre behaviorally that. I feel like you kind of have to put your foot down about it because, like, he simply can't treat your parents that way. It's not acceptable. You can't invite your
0: parents to your beach house so your husband can insult them. And it's just so much – like, literally, it's just – literally just say thank you, put it in your luggage. It takes two seconds. So all this, like, nonsense about, like, it's it's not authentic. It's just, like –
1: Who hasn't gotten a gift that they didn't love beyond measure and, like, just said thank you and, like, put it on your shelf or, like, take it to, you know – housing works or whatever. I don't know. Like uh, that's a sorry, that's a charity. But like you know what I mean like donate it somewhere um or something. Like I just don't uh, there's n- he he's making a point of being cruel to your parents. So that yeah. is the problem that you really have to address here. It has nothing to do with the gifts really.
0: Yeah. And like I'll I'll hope and assume that this is just like a one weird outlier for him and the rest of the time he's good with your parents. But Yeah, I think just to have the conversation where he needs to get honest about it, you need to both acknowledge that what he's doing is disrespectful and cruel. Again, it's not like he's, you know, kicking them or I don't want to I don't want to get so outsized just because I think it's really rude. Like, I do think it's really rude, but it's also not like on the level of like yelling at them. No, but it's a a but it's a repeated
1: like it's sort of a repeated sort of attack on them, even if it's not like a physical or or like angry attack. It's it's an aggressive thing to do. And he does it over and over apparently for years since this is a once a year event that you have
0: so you know and i think just stressing that like the alternative is that once a year you do less and don't hurt my parents feelings this is a win-win situation um and you know i don't like it, it to just say like this is a small enough thing and it's very important to me and and i would like to ask that you do this for me if even if you don't you know, believe that I'm right, even if you don't agree with me. Um, I would like you to do less and make me happier. Do you think you can do that? Because I feel like that is such an easy sell that if he's like, no, fuck you at that point. Then it's just something's
1: like, wrong and it's not. Then about, you've got and it problem. isn't about the gifts. It's about something else. It's about mm-hmm. some kind of resentment that he has that you guys need to figure out because the behavior doesn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah.
0: All right. Finally, we have the tricky one. Yeah,
1: this one's going to – we're going to have to – I'm still not sure how I feel about this, and I'm reading it right now. So we'll have to – we'll just figure it out in real time. Um, I'm, I'm like, I've read it before. I mean, I'm reading it aloud right now. You know what I mean. You get me. The mm-hmm. readers are very, very smart. They, they pick up what I'm putting down, I think. Okay. Uh, subject, overreaching adult adoptee. Um, Dear Prudence, I was adopted at birth with no knowledge about either of my birth parents. Recently, I'm in my mid-40s. I took a DNA test and discovered my biological mother's family. It has been an amazing experience. I have new siblings, and they are incredible. My biological mother was very kind and shared the name of my biological father. They were young and in love, but unmarried. They gave me up for adoption, ended their relationship, and both eventually married other people. One of my siblings learned my biological father's address, and I wrote a letter to him telling him a bit about my life and including my contact information. I also said I understood this might be a surprise and that I would not reach out to him again if he didn't want to hear from me. Several months later, I learned he had died of Alzheimer's shortly after I sent the letter. My guess is that his wife read the letter and chose not to respond. From his obituary, I know we share the same profession, look alike, and that one of his children lives only 10 minutes away from me. Should I reach out? I'm tempted, but I worry it might be breaking my promise. I don't want anything other than to get to know them and to hear more about his life.
0: So I do think here that there, like this, does feel like one of the limited um, situations where a DNA test does not seem quite like planting a bomb. Yeah, this one. Um, I mean,
1: like it, it's it's brought so much joy into your life. So that's nice. Um, I like the DNA test bookends this week.
0: Right, right, and it, you came from it of the perspective of like everybody already knows that I was adopted. Like that's not going to be a surprise. Um, yeah, I, I think for me. Um, the fact that it was apparently like uh, not necessarily an open adoption where they had a lot of contact with you, but like it was it doesn't sound like they kept it a secret or that your birth mother experienced a lot of shame and repression around it. So I I do think you have at least some reason to think rather than like your your biological father's wife reading the letter and throwing it away. She just may have been so busy he was and overwhelmed dying. I with mean, you know. Her, her dying husband that she just saw it and was like, I don't know who this is. I'm throwing it out. Right. Or, or just, just like in a pile somewhere. Like, I yeah, have a pile of mail Yeah, it might be a stack of mail sick.
1: that he received and she was just like, he's not reading any mail right now. And she checked for bills and put the rest of it in a pile and she'll deal with it someday, you know? Um, I think that... <sighs> So I, I think that there's a couple of different ways to approach this. First of all, it's really lovely that your biological mother's family has embraced you. I think I'm really happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it makes sense that based on that experience, you're hoping that your biological father's family will also do the same. Um, I think that it could go either way and you have to be prepared for that possibility if you do reach out. I I've been going back and forth on this as I thought about it, and I think you can. I think you could reach out to that yeah. sibling who lives near you. Um, I think that the fact that, in contrast to the first letter with the DNA test, um, there's no infidelity question here. There's no, like, you know, yeah. this, your birth happened before these people married their spouses who they then had more children with. So presumably you predate that relationship. And so it's not as though this man... It's not as though it would be a betrayal to the family unless he didn't tell them they have a sibling and that upsets them, which is entirely possible.
0: But at that point, I think the fact that they're all in their 40s or like, yeah, I mean, you're all adults. They're in their 30s or 20s. Yeah. There's no like little kids. I'm in my 30s and if I,
1: and I think I'm old enough that while it would be strange if I found out something like this, I would want to know and I would be intrigued and I would want to know yes. the person. It also, given that he just died quite tragically, might be nice for them. It might be a part of their father mm-hmm. that they didn't know was out there. Um, and they might find that to be an exciting thing. But they also might be like, My father's dead and he kept a big secret from me and I'm angry about this. So that's just an eventuality I think you have to be prepared for. But I don't think you are breaking your promise because you made a promise to a man who has passed away. Um who, and he who didn't, didn't respond. It. Like, right. Didn't, yeah. Like there was no right. there was no interaction in which you like swore a vow to one another. Like you just Made an offer. You never heard back. And it's entirely logical to then reach out to the next of kin, as it were. But not to his widow, because I think that would be strange. So, you know... Right. And she's not one of your relatives. Right. Like, you're not related to her. So that's not who you're trying to reach. Although I'm sure it would be nice to get to know her also if you want to know more about him. But I would say, like, I think that the, the kid who lives near you is a perfectly reasonable person to reach out to. And I would, again, coach it as like, hi, this may be a surprise and I'm really sorry if it's like not a good surprise, but here's the situation, yada, yada, yada.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I'm coming down on that too of like, I was a little bit on the fence, but I do think there's grounds. And I think you can just include in like, I assume you'll send a letter to the, your your sibling now. Um, You know, again, because there's, a chance that 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 you did guess what happened that that his wife saw it and was too overwhelmed or just didn't want to deal with it um so i i think it might be fine to include a line that was like i had tried contacting him but um i i learned that he never like i never i had didn't a know that he Basically was ill, Ill and i didn't
1: get a hold of him before he passed so just like right yeah and so, so that you're and not just, covering up that you did reach out
0: previously um just be transparent about that mm-hmm. and then reiterating if you're not interested, I will not try to contact you again. This is totally just about a voluntary getting to know one another. And if that's not something that you're available for, I respect that.
1: Right. And and hopefully they will be. And hopefully it will be just as fruitful a relationship as the one you've forged with your biological maternal siblings. Um, but if it's not, I would say, you know, you found something really beautiful there. And I would say yes. just try to enjoy that. Um, And I'm glad. I'm so happy for you that you found something that you wanted um, and that you feel good about it. But I do think that you're well within your rights to make one more sort of overture and see what happens. And then I think if you don't hear from the siblings, you should let it go.
0: Yeah. I, I think that that's the right balance, too. And I, I do think that is really lovely that, like, even if this doesn't lead to anything, that you have this whole new side of your family that you're able to reconnect with and who have been kind and welcomed you is just so lovely.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's already a happy ending. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, it, you know, I, I just think that it's, it's okay to feel any kind of way about this because this is a, a complicated situation that... Again, as is a running theme this week, um it has nothing to do with anything you've done. You were just born, and this is the situation you were born into. So you know, hopefully your siblings will recognize that and maybe be interested in opening a line of communication that will be fruitful for both of you. But if not, you know, you made the effort and you've done your due diligence, and I think that's really all you can do,
0: yeah, well, Connor. I think that this was easily one of the most fun episodes really? I've gotten to do in a while. I am so, so nervous. That we just, like, if
1: I gave terrible advice, please don't yell at me on Twitter because I'll get, I'll cry. I won't I would cry. Never. But not you. you I meant fabulous. I meant the were... fans. I meant the oh. fans. I'm very sensitive,
0: <laughs> secretly. I was like, That'd be such a dick move if I took to Twitter. Yeah, it's just like, like
1: Danny is just like, wow. I just had a, I just had my friend Connor on as a guest, and he was awful. Like, wow, terrible advice. Yeah, I didn't say um, anything on the air, but I'm gonna but tell like you all I'm that. just gonna put him on blast now on the no, no no no. I just mean please. This is my first time as an agony aunt, uh, so please be be gentle,
0: gentle readers. Mm-hmm. Fabulous, and I'm so glad that we just have the same intuitive response to like if I found out the person I married was actually my first cousin, I would. You know, I just don't see the problem. Deal with that, on, I, it's ultimately. not again.
1: It's not ideal, but it's not. I don't know. Well, this was I mean, I, I kept having this argument with people about Game of Thrones. I was like, it would be and I'm sorry, so this is a tangent, but like if you watched Game of Thrones or you know anything about it, so it was like the question that people were arguing about on Twitter. There were these people who wanted John and Daenerys to be together, and then there were these people who wanted John and Sansa to be together. And their point was like, John and Sansa are secretly only cousins. They're not, spoilers for like a 20-year-old book, sorry. Um, th- they're not actually siblings. And then Daenerys and Daenerys is John's aunt, and that's weirder. And I'm like, but Daenerys and Jon don't know that they're related, and Jon and Sansa grew up as siblings. That's so much weirder than actually being. Related. Anyway, the point is,
0: yeah, no, if you it, don't you are, again instinctively, intuitively like, right. the
1: taboo is about like the people you grew up with who are in your immediate family, like it, it and that's an right. intrinsic taboo that you should feel and that we mostly do. But like someone you never had any idea you're related to and is younger than you, but is your aunt. Like, I'm sorry, that's just like a weird, unique situation and you should just get over it. Maybe if you weren't in like medieval Westeros, you could like do some DNA like, consultation just to make sure everything's going to be fine. But then again, her, si- her parents were siblings. So, like, the really, the cat's out of the incest bag there <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, we're tangent, but... Connor, I love you so much. Uh, <laughs> the point really is, yes, I agree. I'm glad that we had the same insight on that. I'm glad that we got to tackle some of this stuff. The one I'm, like, most nervous about is the, is the teenage sister one because I just don't... Mm-hmm. I was just not sure how to quite approach that but I think that we offered a lot of yeah. options and I hope that that works out and I hope that we hear from
0: I just hope it works out that
1: yeah. letter writer with you know an update and I just hope that they have like she has the support system that she needs because that both of them do
0: and like how lovely too because I feel like I so often hear from people where like my parents always tried to turn us against each other and, and it worked so we have a really right relationship. yeah no but that the two of you have both been able to say like no this is not how i want to live my life. No, i love my you sister and you're they and that you can
1: recognize. I really again, i'm impressed that at cuz i have two siblings and like luckily my parents are not like that. But You know, my Mm -hmm. siblings and I now as adults in our like they're in their late 20s. I'm in my 30s. You know, we have a better understanding now of like how we grew up and like the way we relate to one another. And we have interesting conversations about it. But I'm not sure we would have had those conversations at 20 and 17. So I think it shows a lot of like emotional intelligence and maturity to be dealing with that. And maybe you just had to grow up real fast because your parents suck.
0: Right. Um,
1: But yeah. Yeah, well, I'm wishing all the best for for everyone. And I I think that, yeah, yeah, I'm just really I'm glad I had this opportunity. It was really nice. Thank you for inviting me. If people want to follow me on Twitter, I am at uh, I'm just gonna plug myself without asking. Um, No, (laughs) my name is Connor Goldsmith. Connor, like Sinead Goldsmith, like a jeweler. Um, and, uh, my Twitter and Instagram handle are, it's just one word, Dream of Organon. Um, Dream of, then O-R-G-O-N-O-N. It's a lyric from Kate Bush's Busting" because I'm a homosexual. Um, and, uh, follow my clients. You can see FuseLiterary.com to see, like, who I represent. They're all great. My client, Heron Walker, was on this podcast not long ago. Um, she's great. You are a treasure. I try. I mean, I you know, I just try to be... Enjoyable.
0: You are fantastic. You're very enjoyable. And get so. out of here.
1: Okay, I'm leaving. Thank you so much, Dear Prudence listeners. It's been a it's been a real treat.
0: Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus and our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to Slate.com slash DearPrudence to subscribe. And remember you can always hear more prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to Slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401 371 DEER, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short 30 seconds, a minute, tops. Thanks for listening.